Hey everyone. So on this episode of the Adra Insider Podcast, we are going to be talking about the theme of protecting children. This is one of the big themes in our ongoing and soon to conclude Year of Justice. 2023, as you might have noticed if you've been paying attention to all these episodes, we have been talking about the various kinds of work that ADRA does. And each month, as best as we've been able, we've tried to highlight one of those areas of emphasis and show you just how we contribute to the work of justice around the world for, you know, as it relates to that cause. So, This topic, protecting children, was actually supposed to be something we covered in November, but November was a, you know, famously busy and kind of crazy month for us. We, of course, had the ADRA 40th anniversary celebration, which took up a lot of time and effort, a lot of buildup, and a lot of follow-up. So we are doing this now as a way to, again, highlight a very important topic and hopefully give you an inside look at what that really looks like. I personally also think this is an important topic to cover because this year in 2023, for various reasons that I won't name specifically, but if you are paying attention to pop culture and public dialogue in any way, the topic of, say, anti-trafficking work was pretty prominently discussed over the course of this year and was attached to various phenomena in the pop culture space. Now, one thing I want to highlight is the fact that anti-trafficking work is very real, is very important, and it is something that ADRA is actively engaged in. It is an important part of what we do, and it is an important part of enacting justice, compassion, and love in this world. Children do not deserve to be exploited. Children do not deserve to be taken advantage of, and children, above all else, deserve the opportunity to develop well, to have a safe childhood, and to have the opportunities to build towards a functioning, happy, and thriving life. Now, one thing that must be said, and I hope that this is not too pointed, I'm going to try to not make it too pointed, but it must be said, and it must be understood clearly, that the real and overarching and you know, most significant anti-trafficking work is not the kind of thing that makes you feel like an action movie superhero. It does not make you feel like Rambo. It does not make you feel like Batman. Anti-trafficking work, first and foremost, is about prevention, making sure children don't get taken advantage of or dragged away from school in the first place. And secondly, for those who have been taken advantage of, for those who have dropped out of school, for those who have gotten into some kind of labor exploitation or worse, anti-trafficking work is about building systems, building structures, building environments that are adequately equipped and empowered to take care of children, to build a future for them so that if they have, say, been taken into some kind of child labor, that they're able to come back home, that their parents are able to, in good conscience, support their children going back into school, and that the family is able to survive without feeling the temptation to say, hey, kid, it's time to go back to work. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen. That includes empowering teachers. That includes empowering school districts and individual educational institutions. That involves making sure that parents are sensitized to the importance of education and making sure they understand the opportunities that can come from having an education. Because again, in many places around the world where these kind of concerns are serious, Parents often have not had the opportunity to get an education for themselves, so they don't necessarily understand why it matters, or at least they don't have firsthand experience of just how much is possible with an education. So 
This kind of work is meticulous, it is detail-oriented, it involves a lot of cooperation between people, different systems, different communities, different leaders, different forms of infrastructure, and all of it involves creating the environment where children can thrive, where children can find a safe place, and where they can ultimately settle in and begin the long task of development, learning, growth. This is about empowering children to take a hold of and have agency in their lives in the way and to the extent that a child can. And of course, that means also supporting their parents, their families, their neighborhoods, their schools, their teachers, their communities. That's what anti-trafficking work really looks like. That's what it means to protect kids. Now, to kind of put some flesh on the skeleton that I just built for you, to kind of put some flesh on the bones and to really give it a, a sense of realism, I want to talk about some of the work that we've been doing in Myanmar. Myanmar is a nation that has faced all kinds of struggles um, ever since the government was overthrown in a military coup. Of course, the situation is more complicated than that. There's a lot to it. Politics is complicated, as I'm sure you know. However, the situation there right now is volatile, and what it means in practice for many Burmese people is that they do not have access to infrastructure, resources, and support. Many of them are stateless, and if they do not belong to the same ethnic group as the ruling military government, they basically have no citizenship. So it is this very, very... Um, delicate situation. And in the midst of that situation, ADRA is present and working on ways to get people empowered, get people resources, building up community networks of leadership and cooperation that allow for positive changes to really happen. A little while ago, we managed to sit down with one of our own workers, Chote. She is the project manager for the Bright Project in Myanmar, and she herself hails from that country. She has in-person, up-close-and-personal, real-life understanding of the cultural context. And because of that, she has been able to really give us some awesome insights into the nature of Adra's work there, as well as uh, just she is able to paint a very clear and very detailed picture of what the situation in Myanmar looks like. So I'm going to sh share with you some clips from our interview with her just so she can give you an insight into what it looks like in this situation that is very much an ongoing present issue. So here's Chote talking about what the situation is like in Myanmar and why ADRA has to do the things we do. The problem is there's higher rate of out-of-school children, but yeah, of course, the major root cause is also the conflict. And aside from the conflict, also um, the social cultural norms or language barriers, another issue of mm -hmm. um, having higher rate of out-of-school children. And also because of limited or no access to school, school facilities. And the other one is limited uh, livelihood opportunities because they live in a very remote area. So they were afraid of uh, outsiders because of their past experiences. And also military or ethnic armed group came to their villages. As I said, these villages in northern Shen in Myanmar, there was no school, no education system before Bright. So Bright is really the first um, project that came in and provided them with education. So. 
before people even they be um you know uh they become village leaders but still you know because one thing is lack of education so it affected their communication one the soldier asked them something maybe um the the communication was really an issue and also that's why they got tortured they got abused that's why they didn't trust any outsider Within Myanmar, there are 135 different linguistic dialects spread out across eight major ethnic groups. Each ethnic group has its own armed militia. And while the people in question are all born in Myanmar, the complex political situation and ethnic nature of the military government means that many of the people are not recognized as citizens and have no documentation to identify themselves as such. They are stateless. Those people are losing their identities. There's no record. There's no birth certificate. There's no, because, you know, as a Myanmar citizen, you should have national identity cocked. Because that's where, wherever you visit within the country, you have to show that, especially this time, conflict zone, right? Many checkpoints, they will be asking your ID. But these people, they don't have anything. This means that for many people in remote villages, something as simple as accessing hospital services in a nearby town is simply not within reach. And during her recent trip, Chote visited six different villages that all fit the same staggering description. Communities of roughly 50 households with maybe three motorcycles to account for everyone's transportation. Singular little corner stores with no commodities for sale beyond salt and instant noodles. Economies based on bartering between subsistence farmers, trading chilies for rice, for example, while living potentially a four-hour walk away from the next community that you might be too fearful of to interact with anyway. And of course, such living conditions brought about by civil conflict also means an extremely high rate of -of out-of-school children, children dropping out of school or simply never attending in the first place. Some communities do not even have schools, which are not seen as valuable since previous generations also never received much education. With few viable livelihood options available, many children are targeted for military recruitment or else other forms of human trafficking for labor or forced early marriage. So if a, if a child, especially a male child, is out of school, then for sure they will be really uh, taken, you know, or they are being forced to join uh, soldiers. So child child soldiers, child laborers, these are very common, the effect of the the issue. And also CFM is child early forced marriage and many sexual NGBB cases, human trafficking come on there. And also of course, when you, you know, out of school, meaning you have no education, then lack of or limited job opportunity. Chote has faced some things similarly in her own lived experience. As I said earlier, one of the root causes of the the issue why we have higher rate of out of school children is because of the social norm, right? The culture and language barrier. So um, as I said, me personally experienced that when I was small, uh, not small, grade 10, my father told my mom, let's stop our daughter's education. Because uh, in the end of the day, when she gets married, the husband will take care of her. So that's from my father to my mom. So you see, it's very common in the community. That kind of thinking or, you know, the the perception is like, 
boys' education is more important than girls because boys, they have to lead the family. They will be breadwinners. So they should be educated. But for girls, in the end of the day, you get married and, you know, your husband will take care of you, right? So um, that's why this is, we take we take this one as a very serious uh, education barrier. So we need to break that barrier. So Bright operates in Myanmar based on three pillars, reducing gender-related education barriers, especially for girls, building and improving education systems, and providing livelihood opportunities. There is an accelerated learning program, ALP, for those who are aged 11 to 18 years. This program allows children who dropped out of school or never attended in the first place to gain some kind of livelihood skills. Reflecting ADRA's deeply held values, teachers in ADRA's bright schools must be from the local communities and speak the local language. So that's the approach. If you want to enter a certain community, a certain ethnic um, society, you better go partner or work with their own ethnic people. Because the state of war creates a lot of instability, there have been many people who have left the country and only come back intermittently when they feel they're able to. This had only further reinforced instability by taking people away from communities where they might otherwise have been contributing members. The Livelihood Program has served to create greater stability by making it more viable for people to stick around. Now, Bright has been implemented in other places as well. Significantly of note, Sudan is another nation where this has been implemented, and Chote shared with us some of the success stories from there and just how effective it has been. Uh, after the academic year, when the final exam comes, it's the Ministry of Education who came in. You know, uh, they monitor or they, they administer the um, final exam. Mm-hmm. And then the passing rate is 96% higher than their national passing rate, which is really great. So if you look at the national passing rate, it's 50-something or 60. So meaning we gave quality education because the exam was really from the, according to the national standard and also being, you know, um, yeah, managed by the Ministry of Education. Since the planning stage, even development of the curriculum, integrating gender equality, environment inclusion, we work very closely with UN agencies like UNICEF and also some other INGOs and also Ministry of Education. So the sense of ownership is there since they got involved at the start, you know, the planning stage, they're really very supportive. So that's the best. Being um, in students, a bright project. When they see bright is operating in their new neighboring, you know, communities, they are requesting. They said, "Can you also please include our kids?" Even like in in Sudan, in Niger, it's not from our targeted villages, but they want their kids to attend to get our education. So they walk very far to come to bright school. Okay. One side we are happy how you know like how much they want education, but on the other side we feel sad because they have to walk very far and we cannot really go and set up because we already reach the target with limited resources, you know. Now, of course, developing this project further and including more people in it and expanding its reach will take you know more funding, more efforts, more planning, of course, all kinds of things. But if the results so far are any indication, the efforts will certainly be worthwhile. Now, 
ADRA's anti-trafficking work and empowerment of children and protection of children goes beyond just the Bright Project. If you listen back to episode 13 of this season, which was on advancing education, you would have heard the story of a young boy named Paul who was assisted by the Keep Girls Safe Project. Reminder, just because the project is called Keep Girls Safe doesn't mean that boys get left behind. Our gender equality emphasis is not a form of discrimination. We help everybody, just to be clear. Now, Paul was in a situation where because his parents were not able to safely and securely and regularly make enough money to support their family. And because there was illness and injury and medical costs in their family, he was often skipping school to go work in local rice fields or harvesting other plants, vegetables, produce, whatever. He was, you know, being exploited for child labor in order to help his family make ends meet. And through Adra's intervention with the KGS project in Thailand, We were able to get him back into school, get him motivated and encouraged to the point that he is now considered a good student who now has dreams of maybe one day being a professional soccer player. And this is the kind of thing we're talking about when we when we talk about justice for kids and empowerment and protection for kids, getting them out of situations where they can be exploited and giving them the resources and the tools to access a brighter and better future for themselves. Another thing that we have covered already this year was back in our episode called Women, Water, and the World, where we featured our gender equality specialist, Maddie, who talked to us a little bit about the projects that were going on at the time in Sudan. One of the issues they were encountering in some of the more remote communities in Sudan was that, according to local custom and understanding, Carrying and fetching water was not something that men believed was acceptable for themselves to do and that it was a woman's role to do this. Now, this meant that the task of going to a very far off well and carrying very large pitchers and jars of water fell to women and sometimes even young girls because these treks between home and the well and then back or maybe not even a well, maybe the river. Regardless, the trek between home and the water source and then back, because these distances were so long, it would, for one thing, leave these women isolated for long periods of time away from home, which made them vulnerable to exploitation, assault, attacks, where no one would be there watching and paying attention. And secondly, they were carrying these very, very large, heavy jugs of water. And it actually, in many cases, led to physical deformities and injuries for a lot of these girls because it was just, quite frankly, too much for their bodies to handle. And so sensitizing the community, working with local leaders, sheikhs, and imams who are able to speak in the cultural and religious and worldview framework of the community... It allowed for attitudes to be changed and for men to take responsibility for handling some of this more laborious work. And of course, because this project also involved water access as one of our WASH projects, building water resources closer to the community vastly decreased the amount of potential harm that could come from putting young girls in these kinds of situations. Again, the real protection work for kids is about preventing further exploitation from happening in the first place. 
One more thing I want to say before I wrap this up. You may have noticed that I have revisited some stories that have already been covered on the podcast this year. And while there are lots of projects going on all the time, and while there are lots of stories to tell, I do want to emphasize how interconnected all of these different themes are. We, have, of course, have had a theme for every month of the Year of Justice, but every single piece works together. And it's worth emphasizing that the idea of protecting children is kind of inherent to like every ADRA project, even if that's not the inherent emphasis. In supporting migrant families who are traveling from South America and Central America up to the United States, people who are walking through the Darien Gap, helping those people, making sure they know where they're going, making sure they have a place to rest, making sure their phones are charged and they can connect to you know, satellite service, all of that is protecting kids, making sure that they are as safe as possible on these dangerous journeys their families are making. Protecting families who are fleeing from dangerous areas in war zones in Ukraine, that is about protecting children and getting parents connected to psychologists after they have been through the horrors of war in Ukraine. That is a form of preventatively protecting children. We have had stories come in from Ukraine where women have told us that their husbands who were out on the front lines fighting came back home understandably traumatized by the war and began victimizing the members of their own households because they were traumatized and something was wrong with their brains because of the things that they'd gone through in this wartime context. And so connecting parents and families with psychosocial support protects children. When it comes to any kind of disaster, whether naturally occurring or man-made like a war or a conflict or something like that, Anything we do to support communities to build healthier societies, healthier attitudes, healthier social support systems, all of that protects children. And whether it be victims or survivors of the earthquake in Syria, or whether it be people who are living through a drought in one of the numerous northeastern African countries that are currently facing droughts, it is so important to understand that everything is connected and any steps that can be taken towards making an environment, a community, a society, a place healthier, more prosperous, and more thriving, all of those are steps to protecting children. And I want to emphasize that because I think it's very easy to get hyper-focused on a topic and say, well, what are you doing about this? Well, what are you doing about this? Well, what are you doing about X, Y, and Z? It's fair and fine to have those questions. And I honestly, as a storytelling person, I often have those questions myself. But the thing to remember, and maybe one of the big takeaways for this entire year of this podcast is this, every effort to help is connected. Every effort to make life better for someone is potentially going to make life better for someone else connected to them. And that is the richness of address program. That is the richness of humanitarian work in general. You don't just solve one problem. As you solve something, sure, other issues might be revealed, but the more health and prosperity and wholeness and healing you bring into the world, the more you empower the recipients of those blessings to turn around and bless others. And I think that is one of the areas where our faith really does motivate the way we do things. So 
I think I have waxed on and on more than enough with this episode. And I think you get the picture that our efforts to protect children are a well-rounded thing. So we are going to look ahead to what will be coming out soon as the final episode of this year and of this season. I just want to thank you in advance, even though I'm going to say this again, I want to thank you for being a listener, for being dedicated to this, and for being willing to consume this podcast, even as our length of episodes has varied from extremely short to extremely long. Your attention and your engagement with this content means so much to us. We want the world to be full of people who care about the kind of work that Adra does. And you, dear listener, are one such person. So we thank you for that. Our mission at Adra is to serve humanity so all may live as God intended. See you next time.